You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ask Concussion Doc, episode number 20. We are just humming along here, Rick. Humming along. A couple little housekeeping matters. Today is Team Up Speak Up Day, put on by the Concussion Legacy Foundation. This great initiative is to have athletes take a pledge that they will speak up and notify a trainer or a coach in the event that they feel that one of their teammates is exhibiting signs of a concussion. And so today, how you can get involved for Team Up Speak Up Day, if you are a player, coach, athletic trainer, healthcare practitioner, team captain, uh, post a video on social media, take the pledge, uh, recognize the signs and symptoms of concussion, and um, notify a coach, trainer, or uh, healthcare professional if you suspect one of your friends or teammates has or is displaying signs of a concussion. Uh, I think this is an important concept. It's designed to change the culture of sport. Uh, for too long, we've been promoting the you know tough guy mentality of being able to play through injuries. And unfortunately, as we're starting to realize, concussion is not one of these injuries that you should be playing through. Uh, and I think that it's important for us as teammates to look out for one another. And um, so team up, speak up is today. Get involved, take the pledge. Do the right thing. Awesome. So we have three questions for today. Uh, we have one that is discussing actually some pretty deep questions today. People asking about some of the science, which is which is awesome. So first one is covering uh, pituitary gland function, so hormonal uh, issues. The other one is is asking about blood flow in the brain, and the other one is asking about concussion recovery and how can we be sure that concussion has recovered. Um, and so I'm going to tackle these in the order that they appear on my paper. So the first one is from Jam and Jordy. Is this on Instagram? On Instagram, I think. Um, uh, While watching the football games yesterday, I heard that repetitive head trauma can lead to issues with the pituitary gland. Is there evidence to back that up? There is. Not a lot, but there is. And um, the reason for those, um, I guess, non-science, non-healthcare professional people that are out there, the pituitary gland, Um, produces hormones that uh, are used in your body for a variety of functions. The pituitary gland itself is in kind of a precarious place within the brain. It kind of hangs down from the core structure of the brain. It hangs down below the brain and it hangs in this little bony pouch called the cella tersica. And with impact, just because of where it's located, it's, it's in a high vulnerability area. And so the suspicion obviously is that potentially Uh, this could affect hormone production and now hormones do a lot of different things throughout your body and a lot of the signs and symptoms of hormone dysfunction are the exact same as what you would see in concussion so the pituitary gland controls blood pressure growth uh, energy levels sex hormones thyroid function as well as your metabolism Uh, hormones that are produced cortisol thyroid stimulating hormone prolactin estrogen testosterone and growth Hormone. Now, the first step with this would be a pituitary function test, and that's something that your GP could run. 
And uh, if in the event something comes back abnormal, the most common is going to be a hypopituitary function, so low pituitary function. And uh, you might have a decrease in some of the hormone levels that, that are within the blood. If any of that stuff comes up, the next step would likely be a referral to an endocrinologist and possibly being placed onto hormone uh, replacement therapy. Some naturopaths also can test for this. Uh, I know that the one we have here in Toronto tests for this uh, with some of his patients as well. Um, so just kind of getting into some of the literature, uh, this is a review paper that was done on pituitary function. Previous literature shows that between 15 and 50% of patients with TBI develop permanent hypopituitarism as high as 37.5% in mild traumatic brain injuries. Um, this particular study found that 16% of MTBI patients developed new pituitary dysfunction over 6 to 12 months after injury. The most frequently cited um, hormone deficiency is in growth hormone. Now, growth hormone deficiency, some of the signs and symptoms of that are depression, decreased sexual drive or interest, decreased concentration or memory, fatigue, etc. So those symptoms overlap a lot with a lot of the common symptoms that people would present with following concussion. So it's important to look for some of the other things that may be off uh, when you have a concussion patient. A study done in 2015, the aim of this study, this is Moro et al. 2015, the aim of this study is to determine the prevalence of pituitary dysfunction in patients presenting with cognitive and mood complaints and or fatigability long after a concussion. So 38 uh, subjects, 25 of those were male, mean age was 36 years old, and the mean time from injury was 23 months. Results, no patients showed any posterior pituitary dysfunction, however, anterior pituitary dysfunction that required subsequent treatment was present in 60.5% of the patients within this study. Most common was thyroid stimulating hormone, adrenocorticotropic hormone, and severe growth hormone deficiencies. So basically our stance with CCMI is to always keep this in mind. We will refer for this uh, throughout all of our clinics. Um, if in the event you have somebody who's having prolonged symptoms that isn't responding to the typical stuff. Now there's only been a handful of studies that have been done on this. However, the studies that have been done have found there to be deficiencies. Um, so I think it's something to keep in mind because a lot of the symptoms overlap. And so if it is a hormone dysfunction, it's something that could potentially be treatable. Uh, I've done an Instagram post on this as well. If you go to concussion underscore doc on my Instagram, you'll find one that is on pituitary function uh, and hormones in general. Cool. Next question. I understand that calcium influx is one of the biggest problems with concussion and that cerebral blood flow is reduced after a concussion. Does the influx of calcium play a role in reduced blood flow to the brain? If not, do you know what causes the reduction in blood flow? Uh, I'm not sure if or how calcium plays a role in blood flow. Um, it may, it may not. I'm not 100% sure on that. but. Blood flow mechanisms, there's four main causes or mechanisms behind blood flow impairment to the brain. And it's not necessarily just a reduction in blood flow. Sometimes there's an increase 
uh, like a hyperperfusion of blood flow where you get a lot of blood flow to the brain. Um, so, it, you know, the jury's kind of still out on that. But what we do know is that there is dysfunction that happens. Uh, mostly within kind of the autonomic nervous system, so your sympathetic, parasympathetic, which can regulate blood flow to the brain. And so it doesn't respond well to changes. So for example, if you're in a resting state, you may feel fine. But as soon as you start doing activity, you start to become symptomatic. Now that, uh, from what the University of Buffalo researchers have found, um, that may represent a problem with uh, your, your autonomic nervous system and your brain vasculature not being able to respond appropriately to the demands that you're placing on it. So you're sitting there, all is going well, but as soon as you increase your cognitive load, you're not getting enough blood flow to the brain or it's going in the wrong directions or there's some type of impairment that's not allowing you to um, function at that level and you become symptomatic again. So there's four main mechanisms. Uh, and they all kind of are different and there's a lot that we don't understand about them. So cerebral blood flow is tightly coupled to neuronal activity and cerebral glucose metabolism. So the first one is called cerebral vascular reactivity. Now cerebral vascular reactivity is the way that your brain vasculature responds to changes in the partial pressures of CO2 within the blood. So when you breathe in, you get oxygen and some other stuff. And when you breathe out, it's CO2. So the byproduct of that um, CO2 comes from your cells breaking down the oxygen, metabolizing the oxygen, and then kicking out CO2 as a waste product. That CO2 circulates around, gets back to your lungs, and you exhale that CO2. As the CO2 uh, fluctuates within the blood, um, that will change how your blood kind of... Uh, how your blood vessels will shunt blood around. So when, when your CO2 levels go up, blood flow to the brain will also go up because there's less oxygen versus CO2. So it has to increase the blood flow to keep the oxygen levels the same. So that's how that will fluctuate. So after concussion, they found that there's certain things with breathing mechanisms where people tend to potentially hyperventilate, which can then change the partial pressures of CO2 and the CO2 levels within the blood, which can then cause changes in the blood vasculature. So we know that there's impairment in the mechanisms that respond to these partial pressures of CO2 following concussion. Now, how that occurs exactly down to that level, uh, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure if we're 100% sure, but we do know that there is impairment in that mechanism following concussion. The next one is cerebral autoregulation. Cerebral autoregulation is how the brain vasculature responds to changes in systemic blood pressure. So if the blood pressure goes up in your body, how does the brain respond to that? All of this comes down to the fact that the brain really likes the same level of blood flow and the same level of oxygen all the time. If it's not getting that, then you may faint, you may pass out because of that, or you may have other symptoms, you may become confused, all this stuff. So the whole purpose or the whole reason that blood flow is an issue is because your brain likes everything to be constant. Now, if those mechanisms are impaired following concussion, then things will change. So. Cerebral vascular or cerebral autoregulation is how your brain vasculature responds to changes in blood pressure throughout your body. Um, and that is also impaired following concussion. Neurovascular coupling is another mechanism. So within your brain, the areas of your brain that are more active 
the blood vessels will dilate in that area to try and get more blood to it. Areas that are not active, blood will be constricted so that you're not, you're not using, if you're not using certain areas, you don't want you know, to, to waste that blood flow. You'd rather shunt it over here. And the same thing happens with working muscle. If you have muscles that you're exercising and muscles that you're not, blood will be dilated, blood vessels will be dilated to the working muscles to try and shunt blood there. And it will be constricted to the muscles that aren't working so that you don't necessarily get all the blood going to muscles that don't need it. Same thing happens in your brain and this is called neurovascular coupling. This is also impaired and we see this in studies like fMRI. So when you look at an fMRI study, it, it picks up oxygen that's going into various tissues within the brain and when certain areas of your brain are active, when they're, you know, you're testing them within an fMRI machine, certain areas of your brain will activate and will light up. And that'll basically be an indication of where that blood is going because that's where the, the, the oxygen is, is going. Um, and there's differences between concussion patients and patients without concussion. The problem is that there's also differences between, uh, or there's also a lot of similarities between people with concussion and people with, let's say, anxiety, depression, uh, other types of, you know, mental health disorders, uh, pain in general, having pain will affect how your brain is functioning. Uh, and so it's not necessarily just specific to concussion, but this happens in a wide variety of conditions. So we know that the mechanism can be impaired, but it also might be impaired in a lot of other things. And so we don't really know. There's not really a lot of evidence on that one. And then the next one is neuroautonomic cardiovascular regulation. So your brain and your, and your nervous system, your autonomic nervous system, controls your heart rate. So if you guys want a kind of a quick you know, example of how this works, when you inhale, so if you were to feel your pulse and then take a deep, deep breath in, you'll feel your heart rate speed up as that happens. And then when you exhale, you'll feel your heart rate start to slow down. And that is heart rate variability. So that's constantly going. Your heart rate is constantly fluctuating and varying and that is due to your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems kind of working in tandem. People that are healthy have a very, very high heart rate variability. Your heart is supposed to have a lot of variability and change very rapidly to changes in your condition. Um, if you are not in good physical condition or you have some sort of disease state and you're not doing well, heart rate variability will go down. Now following concussion, people tend to have a high sympathetic drive. So you're not sleeping well at night, your anxiety is going up, but you have this high resting heart rate and there's not a lot of variability. So this is something where now you have this high sympathetic rate, you try to do some exercise and it's like your body can't respond to the exercise and you start to become symptomatic again. So those are the four kind of main mechanisms and theories behind reduction or changes in cerebral blood flow following concussion. How each one of them works specifically, I'm not sure. I don't know how much calcium plays, plays into that. I just know that those are uh, the mechanisms and I know that those can be rehabbed with various techniques. Last question, how can we know that a concussion is gone? Well, this is the most difficult thing that we have to deal with as clinicians. So with concussion, and I think this actually came from a previous post or, or podcast that we did, but we talked about concussion having kind of two recoveries, right? You have the symptom recovery, which basically means you feel better and that's great, but you also have the physiologic recovery where 
your brain is still impaired after the symptoms go away. So we need objective measures to be able to tell us when the physiologic recovery has happened because that's really the dangerous thing. Symptoms don't necessarily really matter in terms of getting a second concussion. It's really the physiologic recovery. So when you're in that kind of low metabolic state, when you already have blood flow impairments uh, and you're, you're physiologically still impaired, even though you, know, you feel fine symptomatically, there's the danger zone. Because a lot of the guidelines that we use in returning athletes back to sport are purely based on symptoms. You know, when your symptoms go away, you can, you can go back to practice. If you feel fine there, then you can play in a game. But we need other ways of being able to challenge the system. Um, things like physical exertion testing can help with this. So the University of Buffalo has developed the Buffalo Concussion Treadmill Test. Uh, that's uh, Dr. John Letty's work, uh, Barry Willer. Um, and that test will help to, it's supposed to be designed to pick up blood flow impairments and physiologic dysfunction following concussion injuries. We just did a study on another test called the Chicago Blackhawks test, also called the Gapsky Goodman test. And uh, we found that even though all of our subjects had passed the Buffalo treadmill test, 15% of them still failed uh, the Chicago Blackhawks test. So that may not be enough just to do the treadmill test. So we're kind of taking that a step further and trying to see if there's more that can be done. Um, and so that 15% of people who are asymptomatic and ready to return to sport actually fail that test. So physical exertion testing is one way. You just have to make sure that the test that you're doing is challenging enough for the athletes to make sure that you're picking up any dysfunction. The other thing that is extremely important is having a really good objective set of uh, baseline tests. So baseline meaning you've tested them before the injury has occurred. So there's all sorts of concussion tests out there, whether it be computerized neurocognitive tests or uh, you know some sideline tests like the SCAD and all this stuff. Uh, there's challenges with those tests, and a lot of those tests don't have enough kind of sensitivity and longevity to show up any deficits after the person has become asymptomatic. So you need to find the good battery of tests that will give you good longevity, good reliability, good sensitivity to be able to pick up deficits even though the symptoms have gone away. But with most of those tests, you need to know where the athlete was before the injury occurred because athletes, um, they're gonna be all over the place. So you know, throughout a team, half your athletes might have you know really you know terrible terrible balance you know half of them might have average balance and then you know a, a, you know some of them may have exceptional balance but because of that variety in individuals through cognitive function physical function reaction time memory concentration normative data is simply too wide to utilize so when you're trying to determine if concussion is gone, the first thing that we'll do is go through the steps of return to play in terms of a symptomatic recovery, but then we'll put them on the treadmill. If they pass that, then we'll allow them to go back and start doing their practices. Then we'll bring them in and do uh, our Chicago Blackhawks test. Then if they pass that, then we'll run them through all their physical and cognitive uh, retests if we have their baseline information and compare that. So we're really looking, we're really taking this a step further to try and make sure that athletes have recovered because recovery is the biggest concern with concussion. If you have a concussion and that concussion fully recovers and you get another one, so far the evidence has shown that you might not get that cumulative effect. 
But if you have a concussion, you haven't fully recovered from that concussion, you get another one right in the middle, you are now in a lot of trouble where you can get this compounding cumulative effect for concussions and now the recovery starts to quadruple in time for when you're in that low physiologic state. So now you're vulnerable for a lot longer than you would have been had you fully recovered from that concussion. So the big thing we want to encourage is concussion recovery and that's why utilizing more objective measures such as physical exertion testing and such as a really good baseline battery. All the evidence has shown that if you just do one or two tests it's not sufficient. You need to have a really good battery and that battery, things you should be keeping in mind are you need stuff that has been shown to have good longevity over time, pick up subtle deficits, be very sensitive to the measure and have really good test retest reliability. Uh, and as best as you can put that together into a package and when more cool science technology comes along and allows us to do more and more of that testing but the practice of that uh, should be in place now with the tools that you can uh, to, to help do what you can now. Anything come in? Yeah, regarding um, blood flow impairments and issues, uh, what techniques are used to rehab these issues? Uh, there's a few. So there's uh, particular breathing exercises. You can use kind of a neurofeedback. There's um, um, you can do it through neurofeedback or you can just provide kind of breathing exercises to um, breathe at a certain rate to try and slow things down, increase the parasympathetic, decrease the sympathetic to try and improve heart rate variability. Uh, this also helps to obviously calm you down, relaxation techniques, that type of stuff. Uh, the big one though is, is exercise in a sub-symptom threshold manner. So um, establishing what the exercise tolerance is, what the physiologic tolerance is, and then providing them with an exercise rehab protocol that, um, that doesn't exceed what their tolerance level is. So it's sub-symptom threshold um, and you gradually increase that over time by continuously testing them to see what their new tolerance level is. And so you're, you're staying below the threshold uh, so that you're not provoking symptoms. And now this has to be done in a very specific way. You can't just tell somebody to go exercise. You have to run them through specific protocols. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a two hour lecture right there. So I mean, more than I can get into right now, but. Concussion Legacy Foundation Canada and also in the US. Team Up Speak Up is today. Uh, take the pledge, report, you know, speak up for your friends, speak up for your teammates. It's in their best interest. It's in the best interest of your team. Also, I mean, you think about return to play, right? You think about some of the studies that have been done on um, removal, immediate removal from sport shows that your recovery is actually faster. So you're actually doing this person a favor, although it might not seem like it at the time because you're pulling them out of this particular game. But if you pull them out of this particular game with the right amount of time immediately, that person has a higher likelihood of being available maybe for the next game. So there's a lot to be said about this. Not only are you removing the risk of them suffering serious consequences, serious brain injury, of getting that second concussion when they just had one, but you're also potentially speeding up their recovery and getting them back to be with your team in the future. So I think this is a good initiative, great initiative to uh, improve the culture of sport. Team Up Speak Up is today. Join Concussion Legacy Foundation, take the pledge, and uh, help your teammates out. Episode 20 in the books. See you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. 
Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.